This is Sermon Smith, a bi-weekly conversation about the craft of sermon preparation, and my name is John Chandler. This is Sermon Smith number 65. Man, I love seeing these numbers tick up. I think I first started adding numbers to the actual episode titles somewhere in the mid-50s, and it's just been fun to see those numbers climb and creep up. And with each one, I'm just reminded of how thankful I am to have these conversations, to hear from many of you who are enjoying them as well, and especially those of you who have been guests before. It's just been a lot of fun. Guest today is Sean Palmer. Sean is the pastor of The Vine, which is a church not too far up the road from me in Temple, Texas, kind of a mid-sized town, right, right, right in the heart of Texas. I suppose around here they'd say deep in the heart of Texas, but we'll just say right in the heart of Texas so we don't get too Texan for everybody. Really enjoyed this conversation with Sean. I'd been familiar with him a little bit through his blog, some of his writing on Scott McKnight's blog, and then I had also, which we'll reference in here, listened to him on my friend Shane Blackshear's Seminary Dropout podcast. So I knew it would be a fun conversation, but was excited to hear his perspective singularly on preaching, which we talk about here and how he does his sermon prep, especially in the Church of Christ, where really the primary role as I understand it, uh, for, for, for uh, senior pastors in the Church of Christ, really they consider their primary role to be preacher, and Sean talks a little bit about that. Partner for today's podcast is Audible. Audible is, if you are not familiar already, much like what you're doing right now. It's listening to spoken word on the go, but it's books. I listen to Audible all the time. I listen to it in my car. I probably go through about one book a month, maybe a few more than that, uh, throughout the course of a year, I probably average maybe 12 to 15 books that I listen to on audiobook because I find it just a great way to engage and grapple with ideas that are being tossed around. I especially like popular level books when I'm listening to audiobooks because I find it helpful to think about and hear you know, what's on the bestseller list and ideas that are being tossed around, and I can incorporate those in my sermons. Just this past week, I incorporated an idea from David Brooks' book, The Road to Character, which is a book I'd certainly recommend to you if you wanted to give Audible a try. David Brooks is a New York Times columnist, and The Road to Character is his most recent book just talking about who how, he really talks about spiritual formation, but from a somewhat secular perspective, although there are plenty of spiritual undertones in the way he talks about it. might be really helpful for you, too, in your own thoughts, but even in terms of bringing public conversations into your sermons. If you're interested in Audible, you can go to audibletrial.com slash sermonsmith, where you can get a uh, free book, and it could be The Road to Character. You can listen and see how that works for you. You'll sign up for uh, a monthly account, which I believe is twelve ninety five, which would give you one book a month at that price, and then sale prices on other books. Or they also have a plan where you can get two a month. That's a way you can support the podcast. So again, if you're interested in that, audibletrial.com slash sermonsmith. As always, thanks so much for listening. And here we are with Sean Paul. Tell us about the Vine Church. Tell us about where you preach. Well, uh, the Vine is in what we call Central Texas, which is that area right between Austin and Waco, which is a really fun way of saying where nothing is. Um, You're not in Austin and Baylor's up in Waco. uh, So there's big Highway 35 for those folks who aren't interested in, uh, who aren't familiar rather with Texas. Thank Basically, in Texas, it takes you from Dallas down to San Antonio. We're smack in the middle of the state, and uh, there are a couple colleges here, big hospital. And so our church uh, is out of a restoration movement church. It's about 37 years old, but four years ago, uh, four years ago this upcoming Sunday, um, I came here when the church had really decided to reimagine who they were. And part of that was the realization that there were other churches from our movement, which was Churches of Christ, who were doing a really good job of being a mainstream Church of Christ. But there were folks that weren't being reached, folks who maybe were skeptical about the gospel or new to the gospel or coming back to church, had a lot of skepticism about the church. And that was really the founding impulse of this congregation 35 years ago and had kind of stumbled their way into being a place that was very much like other places. So we wanted to be a place, they wanted to be a place where people who were searching for faith, uh, trying to renew faith could find it. People who were skeptical about church could find it. And that's sort of where I entered the picture. They talked to some people um, that they knew about who 
might be able to help them along with that project and, and discovered me. And I was totally not interested <laughs> at first. <laughs> My mother-in-law lives about 20 minutes from here. I knew of the congregation. I knew of the place. I grew up in big cities. I've lived in Atlanta and Houston and San Francisco and coming to a three city region of Texas with a hundred thousand people didn't sound all that appealing to me. Um, but this church is unlike any other place I've been in that it really is the most welcoming place for people to ask questions and seek God. Um, people aren't required or pressed to believe something before they're ready to believe it. Uh, we've got many couples here, many families who are from mixed um, faith heritage, atheist, Christian, um, even within the Christian family, you know, Catholic Church of Christ, Methodist, Baptist, and they find a place here where there's not a lot of inter-church, inter-Christian dogma, where we simply talk about Jesus and how to be Jesus in spiritual formation. Yeah. So that's a little bit. So you didn't mention military. Is that, are you far enough away? Because I know there's a big military presence up there, but is that a little further away from where you are? It is. It's about 25 miles from here. My okay. wife works near there in a town called Killeen, Fort Hood's yeah. out there. It's the largest army base in the world. Uh, but we don't get many of those people because of the distance uh, from here to there. And just on a Sunday morning when you don't have to drive that far, um, you don't have to. Though we have some folks who are retired military. Um, but most of our congregants in some way derive their their um, income from the hospital or from education. Yeah. Um, so there is a college here in town, UMHB, which was started as a sister school to Baylor years and years ago as the girl's school, but it's no longer just a girl's school. Um, and so that's the kind of folks. So most of our people, most of our congregation here, uh, for good or for ill, uh, master's degree level or or above. Um, there are obviously in this area of the country lots of farmers, ranchers, uh, folks who work with their hands. We have some of those people, but I would say the largest demographic, our largest demographic are professionals who are, believe it or not, empty nesters, recent empty mm. nesters. So okay. when I came here, we thought, let's... Um, I was really into targeting at that time four years ago, which I'm not anymore necessarily. And I thought, well, if we make a, if we kind of design a service that would really be appealing and speak to folks who were 35, like a 35 year old guy, um, which is what everybody was telling us to do at the time, then we would increase our chances of being able to minister to people. And we did that. And what we found was it was a really great service in terms of speaking to 50 year old women. <laughs> so, oh. um, so your 35 year old men target spoke to 50 year old women. Yeah. Like what, <laughs> what we thought we were doing for one demographic really seemed to be, um, attractive to, to another. And, um, uh, so we have a pretty significant population of folks whose kids have just left for college or have just graduated college and just are starting to launch in the, into their own career, um, which, creates certain challenges and certain opportunities, just like every demographic. Yeah. And and I'm, I'm just going to put in a plug here while we're talking for my friend Shane Blackshear, because you were on Shane's podcast not too mm -hmm. long ago. Um, and I know you tell some of the story of the church there, which is great, but this is good context. But you also, I'm just reading his title, uh, Seminary Dropout 113, <laughs> Sean Palmer on being the black pastor of a predominantly white church, politics yeah. and blogging. So is that, is that, church? I mean, is it 90% white? Like what's your breakdown there? Yeah, it is um, probably about that, maybe even north of 90%. What's interesting, and my wife and I were talking about this just yesterday, was that we, we have not a significant amount of people, but certainly some who, if you were to spot them on the street, you would say, oh, that's a Caucasian person. Hmm. Um, but they're not like they're um, like they're half um, Latino or yeah. they're half Japanese and that sort of thing. So it's it's weird. I feel like we are we're not exactly the island of misfit toys <laughs> uh, on a, the, theologically and as a church and as a church of Christ. But we are we do have some distinctions that are atypical. But I think what's atypical about us will increasingly be typical 
in America. Um, yeah. So, and has historically have you more so been part of churches that are predominantly white, or is that is this a new experience? Since high school, I have been. Yeah. Um, I figured since your Church of Christ. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, since since high school, junior high, high school, and I went to Abilene Christian University yeah. um, for undergrad and graduate school. And so that kind of sets a trajectory, at least it did back when I was there. When I started at Abilene Christian in 1992, the university itself was 6% um, other, you know, so uh, 94% Caucasian. That's very different now when I go back to campus. I don't know what the numbers are, but it may be up to 30% upward. Um, And it's also not majority Church of Christ either, which is interesting. Yeah. so that shift, I think, um, has happened. But where you go to college and where you go to seminary, as you know, kind of sets you on a trajectory of where you end up working just because of network and those sorts of things. And what, and quite frankly, what you're trained to do and how you're trained to do it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, tell us then, uh, and again, I know a little bit of this from listening to your conversation. I, I know what the role of preaching would be in a typical Church of Christ, or I can guess— but I bet that's nuanced or a little bit tweaked in, in your setting just because it sounds like some of your own theological journey. So why don't you talk a little bit about, like, in the life of the vine specifically, how would you say the role of preaching fits in the life of the congregation? Well, given our context and the fact that we are um, kind of an educated church <clears throat> and we suffer under the busyness that educated people often suffer under. Um, Our folks have demanding jobs. They're active in the community. My primary job every week is content creation and delivery. Hmm. Um, But more so than, say, a generation ago in our tradition, I have more leadership responsibilities. I don't know that I necessarily do those well. I think primarily – um, my gifts are around content creation and delivery. Yeah. Um, and sort of that sort of, uh, we lead the church from the pulpit Yeah. versus I know a lot of guys and a lot of girls are much better at leading their church through the system, through the leadership system. Um, those are not my strongest gifts. So because of the kind of church we are, our best opportunity to minister to people, to reach people for good or for ill. And I don't necessarily think this is a great thing. It's just is, is the Sunday morning experience. So uh, Monday morning, we're talking on a Monday morning. My main task that week is to, to preach something that will help the other things, both in individual group and church spiritual formation happen rather than to make sure that we hit certain benchmarks. Like, so, you know, we've got, for instance, like next week we have a Passover Seder. Mm -hmm. Um, I will do the instruction during that Passover Seder, but I don't have any other responsibilities for that. (laughs) Um, And that's the, that's the way most things here look. And I really like that. I like the idea that when a group is doing something, is planning something, that my responsibility is to um, spiritually uh, lead that prayer petition. I remember um, Eugene Peterson talking about how uh, the he doesn't say it like this. This is more crudely than he says it. Uh, like the megachurch model of pastor really has taken the pastoring out of pastoring (laughs) and it's much more of a business leader. And I really like the idea. I really like the fact that I get to be, um, the pastor that my hunch is, uh, that our congregation, that our church looks at me to be the spiritual leader of the congregation, much rather than the organizational leader of the congregation. Cause we've got plenty of people here with those gifts. Um, and that when a, when we're doing something that it has a that when I'm doing something it has a distinctly spiritual um, bent to it. Even though, as our fellowship would say, we believe heavily in the uh, priesthood of all believers. Yeah. All right. So you have no apologies for just sitting in your office and just plowing away on books all day. 
Absolutely not. Absolutely <laughs> not. And, you know, they, um, I think they applaud that in a lot of ways. Um, and that's obviously never, as you know, you know, that's never an excuse to. Right. You got to know the people. Sure. Yeah. It's to not be with people. And I, my typical week doesn't look like that, but it's the, it's the one thing. Uh, if you reduce everything that a pastor at a church does in a week's time, it's the one thing that only I can do. Yeah. And it's the one thing that, that impacts the most people. And so I can go and have lunch with half the church in a week. And that would be really good for the one or two people I do that with at a time. And when someone dies, like where I was, we were talking uh, earlier about a, a church member who had a relative die. Like I'm there for all of those events and I'm part of that process with them. And that's a long-term ministry walking um, with that, with the family through that. But I know when those things occur, uh, you know, Sunday's coming, Sunday's coming, Sunday's coming. And there are people who um, are in lots of desperate situations who want and desperately need a word from the Lord. And I'm going to do my best to try to be the vessel for that. Yeah. So it's, uh, in a lot of ways, it sounds like you still have a pretty tradition, traditional Church of Christ structure in terms of your job as lead pastor, senior pastor, whatever title's given. Mm. You know, the, the role is preacher, right? And the elders really lead the church, so to speak, and your role is preach. Yeah, it's interesting here um, because there isn't a whole lot of space between me and our elders in terms of what we want to do, we, we've in four years now, um, we've never had an argument about anything. We've never had a disagreement. I've never had to sit and try to figure out a plan to get anything through. <laughs> you know, um, uh, we are so closely aligned uh, that that's never a problem. And I know um, in many church, in many preachers in my position have to spend a lot of time navigating those sorts of systems. And I just don't. Um, they would probably, if if you were to ask, they would probably ask, say, we would really love for Sean to lead some more. Um, we would like for him to, uh, but it's so interwoven into how we work that I feel like I do have a lot of leadership. There's nothing that I want to have happened in the last four years that hasn't happened. Yeah. Um, and so while the way I go about my, um, the way I go about my work seems pretty traditional. I have a lot of leadership skill. I have a lot of leadership latitude rather, um, in our congregation. And a lot of that's just due to not, there not being a whole lot of difference in what they want and what, <laughs> what I want. So if I say, let's do X, they say, yeah, I think we should do X. Probably sometimes we should have done X sooner. Got it. Yeah. Okay. Well, there's 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 a little bit of a running joke emerging in Sermon Smith. It's probably only funny to me. But <laughs> years ago, uh, I worked with a guy at a church in Arizona, and it became the running joke that he always wanted to do a sermon series on the seven deadly sins. Yeah, <laughs> and we always it just we just started. No, we're not going to do that. And now, I, I bet, uh, and you know what I'm leading up to here, mm -hmm. but yeah, I bet. Um, I bet I've had at least four, maybe more people on Sermon Smith say, yeah, we are doing or just recently did the seven deadly sins. So now I'm having to go back and reconsider this as a good, viable sermon series. All that is set up for, listen to a little bit of your podcast. And one of the ones I went through, you were introducing your series on the seven deadly sins. So yes, yes. <laughs> I take it, you know, just from looking back through and, and hearing some of that one that you tend to do series-based uh, sermons. How do you how do you outline and map out you know what you're going to do sermon-wise? How far in ahead do you plan, and and how do you pick this? Um, twice a year, I sit down and map out the next six and map out six months at a time. Yeah. So just last week, um, I finished mapping out the rest of 2016 um, because I'd already had up till up through. June yeah, um, mapped out, which I did in the fall. Um, and so I'll, there are a couple of things that I know I'm going to do every year. Um, every year we're going to spend four weeks at least talking about 
this, the way we do ministry here at the church. So there are four things that we ask our members to do, um, um, to commit themselves to worship, commit themselves to being a small group, uh, to invest in the community and invite. So those four things. So every year we're going to do a series on those four things, (laughs) uh, because that's how our community works. And we need to be reminded that that's how our community works. They all look different and sound different, but it's it's those four things. So I know I'm going to do that. I know in the fall every year, because I have the biggest amount of time uh, between kind of events. So when school starts, we launch a series that is usually going to be textual series because I got that good Church of Christ training. You know, <laughs> to do textual series, because um, that's between school starting and Advent is my biggest block of time. So if I need to take yeah. a lot of time with something, I can get a big textual series. And it's also easy to build around. Um, we do Advent every year. Uh, and so that's pretty standard. We do a prayer service the first Sunday in January. So that's pretty standard. And then basically we go into a um, either a short series and then a Lenten series, or if it's a long series, we do something around Lent. So really, the seven deadly sins, so it started before Lent, is really a Lenten series. I figured that might be the case, yeah. yeah. It's, a good match. it's a good fit. <laughs> yeah. Um, let's talk about sin for a while. Um, and, and so that bumps us all the way up through Easter, obviously do Easter Sunday as a one-off, and then something highly um, felt needs driven coming out of Easter, because that's the time, like we had my friend Heather Hodges here this Sunday. Um, She's a painter. She also preaches and paints at the same time, but she just painted for us this weekend, Um, kind of full house Sunday. Um, which we had, well, long story, try to get that closer to Easter, but schedules conflicted and all that. Um, because that's such an easy time for people to invite friends. We always want to follow that up with a felt need series for people who are, um, that's not the time to do a textual series for me. Right. Uh, I want to do a series like this is how, this is how the gospel can impact your life. So after Easter this year, we go into a series on just finding your purpose in life. Um, and what the gospel implications of finding your purpose. Yeah. Uh, that'll take us up to summer. And summer is fun because we have a highly mobile community and living in Central Texas. This is why it's important to know I'm in Central Texas. Dallas is two hours away. Austin's an hour away. Houston's three hours away. Um, if you want to be someplace on the weekend and you've got any extra dollars, you can. Yeah, yeah. And throw in on top of that summer travel and every summer we do series that you don't have to have been here last week. (laughs) You don't have to be here next week to kind of get it, uh, to understand what we're talking about. So this is my, my oldest daughter is 12. My daughters are 12 and nine and they love Taylor Swift. So we're driving last year to, from, from Temple to Cincinnati for the North American Christian Conference, where I did a keynote last year. So we drive, and it is, we have a new car. We bought a new car last year. It had Sirius Satellite Radio in it. And there is not, I mean, but Taylor Swift's bad blood was on every channel all the time. So uh, I'm just thinking about this as they just love Taylor Swift. They, I mean, there's, Taylor Swift and Adele are on a constant loop at our house. Yeah, yeah. And I thought, she's saying some interesting things about relationships um, and different stages of relationships and how people relate to each other. So this summer, our summer series will be the gospel according to Taylor Swift. Oh, man. There you go. You're in deep. (laughs) Yeah. So I thought this is uh, probably one of the uh, most noticeable cultural icons right now. So I think that'll be fun. But we we do that because... I'm in and out during the summer. People are in and out during the summer. And so we try to do things that um, our community and our friends and guests can easily access without a lot of background to them in the summer. 
so that's kind of how we sketch out the year, um, at least the thought behind sketching out the year. Yeah. Uh, and then, so as you map those out, what do you, what do you, you know, when you go into, I'm going to plan the next six months, do you mostly just end up with maybe a title and a text or how much, how much do you map out what each of those sermons is going to be? Well, I'm, I'm an Evernote geek. So, um, here we go. I get a, I make a chart in Evernote. I put every Sunday down, uh, when one column's got all the, the, the dates, one has the series, the next column has the series, the next column has the text topic and uh, the sermon focus in it. Okay. Um, and then the next column has uh, any specials, right? So if it's a special Sunday because it's Double Your Blessing Sunday or something like that where we take an extra collection or missions or whatever. Yeah. Um, so Father's Day, Mother's Day, that sort of thing. So because I'll lose those kinds of things. And then each one of those sermons in Evernote gets a file that's linked to it. Okay. Um, and as I come up with ideas for that sermon, or maybe I'm, uh, I get up about 515 every morning. And one of the things that I do is read newspapers. And wow, so like I, actual physical newspapers? No, 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 okay, no, no. Okay, no. I was, was right? going to be real impressed. This, this kind <laughs> uh, on, on the iPad. So I read yeah. newspaper, and if I see an article or any, something, I think, oh, that might relate to this thing I'm going to talk about in four months. Yeah. That immediately gets dropped in that file for that sermon. So file is like a file folder. Yeah, just but on Evernote. Right, so, okay. And it's linked to that topic and date. Yeah. So – by the time I get ready to write that sermon, like I click on that file in Evernote and I've got all of these resources right there. Um, and I use the Evernote Moleskin. So if I right. jot down a thought or a sermon, an idea, I can snap a picture of it and put it. Yeah. See, I've got mine, mine up for you. Yeah. Like, yeah. Um, I can sh- take a screen. I can take a screenshot of that and put it in that file. And what I like about that is by the time I get ready to write, so much of that, so much of that sermon is written in terms of, oh, there's, I forgot I'd had that idea. And I forgot about that. Um, and so that's why planning far in advance kind of helps me out and also helps with my other personal calendar. Like, oh, I'm going to be gone that Sunday and that sort of thing. Um, Do you find you need to regularly review even what you have coming up or just because every six months you feel like you pretty much can have a good handle on what's coming up the next six months. So, you know, even as you're reading. Yes. Um, and you know, you had mentioned the seven deadly sins thing while everybody's doing, um, seven deadly sins. Well, one of the reasons that people are doing seven deadly sins right now is that in the last couple of years, there have been some really good books written about the seven deadly sins. Mm, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so like, you know, Rebecca DeYoung's book, um, on uh, her book, Glittering Vices, is just an absolutely incredible book. One of the best books I've read in the last couple of years. Uh, and so I'm always doing sermon series in conversation with stuff that, that's that been fluttering in the back of my head because I read a book or I thought, oh, that might be interesting to explore. Yeah. Um, and so when something really interesting comes out, like I've got a question right now about heaven and I'm trying to think, what do I think about heaven? And people have asked me a couple of questions and where I want to go with that. Well, I know like Gary Black has a book coming out. I think it's a kind of the subtitle is like what C.S. Lewis taught me, not C.S. Lewis, but Dallas Willard taught me about heaven. Hmm. Um, and I thought, well, when that comes out in the fall, I'm going to buy that and read it. Which probably means that in fall of 2017, we'll be doing a series about heaven. <laughs> yeah, because it'll be under mine. Yeah. yeah. After I let it ruminate for a while. and so, so let me go back to newspapers because I'm trying to think if newspapers have ever been mentioned on <laughs> <I'm> Sermon Smith, <laughs> the, the, uh, the panic of newspaper editors and publishers everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, what what newspapers do you read? I assume you read a local one, but how wide of a span of newspapers do you try to ingest? Um, every morning, I read the Washington Post, mm-hmm. New York Times, and Politico. Okay. Uh, and because I want to always know what the national conversation 
yeah. is about. And both to know just for my own thinking, but also these are the ideas that are informing um, our communities. And so I want to be conversant with what's going on in the world um, and where where people are getting their ideas from. So especially this year during election year, everybody shows up at worship with different ideas about just about anything. And yeah. I want to be conversant and what's happening in the world. Um, I want to be able to, uh, to really know, like I just bought a book this morning um, on ISIS. Cause I want to, I don't know very much really about ISIS yeah. except that even though only one in four million Americans this year will be killed in a terrorist attack, everybody seems to be terribly afraid. Right. Mm -hmm. And so God talked, the Bible talks a lot about, a lot of, about fear and I want to be able to say with some integrity, you know, the truth is in America, you are more likely to die from a television falling on you this year than being killed by a terrorist. That's even true with flat screen TVs, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Like you're <laughs> like you're uh, so. So if you're one of if you're in our community, I want to be able to say. You've got some fear that's really misplaced. Um, and I'm not going to go and tell you, you shouldn't be afraid of terrorism and that we shouldn't deal with it. But I want you to know that when scripture says, do not fear, there are some reality based reasons why you shouldn't be guided by that, why your vote shouldn't be guided by that, why your conversation shouldn't be guided by it, because these things aren't likely to happen. Um, so that's, those are the kinds of things that I think about, like, well, I'm going to read the newspaper. So you don't read local. You you just try to I be don't a national read the local newspaper. <laughs> if there's something really important going on locally, uh, I'm almost positive someone will post it on Facebook. Right. Yeah. That's maybe that's a safe bet. A lot of election stuff gets posted on Facebook too. You know. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> but I try to ignore that. <laughs> all right. Um, well, thanks. So, all right. So then, by the time you're ready to, uh, well. Uh, you know, one of your Church of Christ uh, brothers who was on the podcast was Wade Hodges. Do you know Wade? Yeah, his wife, his wife Heather, was the one. Oh, who that's was... oh, yeah. I didn't make that connection. I didn't yeah. know she's an artist. Okay, so you know Wade, as I've referred to many times, maybe not on the podcast, but he does four sermons at a time because he's Church of Christ and he gets to focus on preaching a lot. Mm -hmm. How how many sermons are you really, other than you know gathering? like you just talked about, how many sermons at a time are you really deeply working on? Are you working on one a week or how's that? Work I am you? working on one a week okay. and I have had this conversation with Wade yeah. <laughs> multiple times. And, uh, He's a machine. I, yeah, I am, I am in awe that, uh, that he and, and, and some other folks who are mutual friends of ours are three and four weeks out ahead. And once you get out ahead, they're right. Like we're all doing the same thing, but, but Wade's always been that way. Um, but I'm only writing one, even when I am, even when I am two or three weeks ahead, I'm only writing one at a time. Okay. Um, and that, um, that's just the way my mind works. Um, so what's that process look like then from the time you first say it's time to start on this sermon and you open the Evernote folder full of newspaper articles and whatever else you've been clipping along the way. Um, where to start in terms of my process, because I have been gathering, like reading books, collecting information, reading commentaries, that sort of thing. The first step is always, you know, I always go back to, you know, your seminary training. Your first step is always to pray, right? <laughs> so, um, and then you do kind of your critical sources, Bible, um, when textual criticism that you want to do. Um, but I am, I was really trained and believe in the method of David Buttrick's moves and structures. Okay. So I don't know if you I don't read. know this one. This is new. Okay. Um, so, and, and in moves and structures, um, you basically think through the text and the sermon like you would a comic strip. 
So each box, I mean, I've got a sermon sketch sheet. I did a series on my blog called Six Days to Sunday. Um, and it's several years old now. But in that series, if you Google it and look it up on the blog, um, you can download one of my sermon sketch sheets. And it's basically six blocks. Um, and the first block is introduction and the last block is conclusion. And so I break down whatever text like they are scenes from a comic strip. So each one is self-contained, has its own, and then you, but it, it moves you to the next part of the story. So those are what Buttrick would call the moves. Okay. And I know that I've got a really good, tight sermon. If when I'm done writing it, I can exchange the introduction and the conclusion um, and it, and they both work where they are. Um, so the, I am, uh, I see, I'm a writer, I think at heart, um, in term, in terms of how I go about things. So I've got everything out there. I sit down with a piece of paper for my sketch and I sketch through the sermon, how I think should, what should be move one, what should be move two, what has to be said and move two to move us to move three. And I see the text that way. So are you doing uh, this in your Evernote Moleskina? No, no, I've got a whole separate sheet. All right, just all right. So, <laughs> you just I've, said I've, sketch I've, it in your piece of paper. So I thought, yeah, was, yeah, yeah. Um, and so, but all of that is dictated by at the top of that same sermon sketch. I've, it says at the top sermon focus okay. and sermon function. So this is old um, uh, witness of preaching. Um, Thomas Long, I yeah, think. yeah, Long's witness of preaching, sermon focus and sermon function uh, type stuff, and I try to get the sermon down to one central idea, not necessarily a tweetable nugget, um, but something that okay, like this sermon was about this. Um, so, and once I've got it sketched and I know what all the moves are, then I just start writing. Cause then it, by that point, it's all there. And so I start crafting the sermon and I do believe, and I fear it's being lost uh, in, in actually crafting a sermon. Manuscript. That, yes. Like yeah. a, language matters. The moves matters that there, there's more going on than just the, um, just the exchanging of an idea. And so I, I know that there are folks who would say what hearers track with is a central idea. And I know that's true. But I also know that people appreciate and are attracted to beauty mm-hmm. and power. And there's a different words mean different things. And so when I hear in a sermon that should have been thought through, this is not just a conversation that people are having. When I hear preachers say words like things and stuff, yeah. like, I know they haven't really thought through it because there are actually words for what you're talking about. <laughs> um, and you can access those words. And so sometimes um, the word you use actually matters in the crafting of a sermon. Hmm. And so I don't like, I, I write a full manuscript. I do not read it. Uh, and I'm some weeks more tied to it than others, usually not very much, but having gone through that process, uh, I know exactly what each move is doing and trying to do. And I'm not making things up on the fly. Um, I'm not just trying to fill in gaps like this story that I'm telling. I know how I'm telling it. I've eliminated the fat. I think manuscripting helps you eliminate a lot of the fat in a sermon where it's just like, yeah, you told us that, and it didn't move the sermon along at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I force myself when I'm writing to sit down and write the entire manuscript in no more than two sittings. So, <clears throat> are you handwriting this, or are you typing this? I'm typing it at okay, this point. Okay. So I'm really uh, impressed if you're handwriting your manuscript. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I hardly handwrite. I write the ser- handwrite the sermon sketch, but hardly anything else. And um, yeah, so and I try to do that just to keep all my thoughts centered, um, and then I just kind of let that sit and come back to it later, 
and ask the question, what needs to go? Um, what in this sermon is excess? What is, what is it that I'm doing because I want to seem smart or I want to seem mm. funny yeah. or entertaining that doesn't help move us along? And you get better at that with time, but I'm always shocked at how much there still is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I, I, can, I can take out this whole section right here and still be in the sweet spot of this sermon. So um, that's a little bit about what the process looks like to me. And I try to be done, uh, try to never take away family time or off time to write sermons. I know a lot of young preachers that I know are still working on stuff on Saturday night, you know, Saturday afternoon. And uh, the best feeling in the world to me is to have a weekend approaching and knowing uh, that I don't have to touch this thing again until Sunday morning. So let's, so let, yeah, let's talk timeline. How does all that, you said sometimes you might be, you're only doing one sermon at a time, but sometimes you might be working on one two weeks out. So what is your typical timeline? How does that play out? Um, typical timeline and course of the week, do you mean? Yeah, uh, like what time of the week are you doing each of these parts usually? Okay, yeah. So all the other parts happen uh, when they can during the week. So I have, my days are sort of blocked. Um, like on Tuesday is, a, for instance, Tuesday is a connection day. So I'm writing visitors. If you're going to have, if I'm going to have lunch with people, have coffee with people, those sorts of things. Um, I try to do all that on Tuesday. Um, I try on Monday, I try to do any reading and study that is left over for what I'm trying to do to get that out, knocked out of the way. Um, Wednesday, I start with, uh, I do, I'm doing sketching. And then Thursday, if I'm lucky, I can start writing on Wednesday. Mm -hmm. Thursday is my heavy writing day. Many times I'm not even in the office on Thursday. Okay. Like I will, I will work at home or I'll go to a coffee shop and work and just put my head down. And um, that is just a writing day. Like I'm just trying to get through as much writing as possible so that I can be done. So that's, um, and you know, like the more you do it, uh, the more you write a sermon, the more streamlined that process is. And as you know, the more of it happens in your head, right. like just naturally. Sure. Yeah. So uh, it wasn't like that when I was first starting, <laughs> you know, where you have, like, okay, like I've got to, this is, everything felt like heavy lifting. But now I can sit down, once I've done all of the pre-work, now I can sit down and I really can hammer out the manuscript in a few hours unless I'm having a particularly difficult time for some reason. Right. Uh, and on, on the exegetical side of things, what does that look like for you? Is that a lot of word study, commentary study? It, you know, it depends. Like it is when it's, uh, I preached through Romans two years ago and that was like, I took a lot of time with that kind of stuff. Not so much with seven deadly sins. Um, so it depends on the nature of what I'm preaching at that point. But, you know, there's so many good resources now. And yeah. my father-in-law was a preacher. And before he, you know, when he died, I inherited his entire library. Oh, wow. Um, so I've got so many really great resources, um, that, uh, I can, I can hammer through a lot of that pretty quickly. And just like the other side of it, like the more you do, the more, you know, over time, um, that helps. I try not, I want to do enough where I really know what I'm talking about and the church can be confident in that I'm talking about. But I never want to do so much of it. And I guess not so much is the wrong word. I don't want to do, I don't want to be the guy who gets off, whose sermon is on the rabbit trail that he found interesting in the exegetical word. <laughs> you know, one of my preaching professors used to tell us, never preach your exegesis. Yeah. Uh, so um, I, I took that to heart. Um, like what, what do people, what do people need to know to live a, God-centered, faith-inspired life. Um, and if there's something, some oddity in the text that I find interesting, that's wonderful for me to talk about with my preacher and theologian friends. Um, but most folks didn't show up on Sunday morning to hear what I'm curious about that week. That fits under the category of showing people how smart you are. 
Yeah. <laughs> yes, I know that's true for me. Yeah. It's like, I like that kind of stuff and I always have to catch, I, and I don't always do it, but, but I always have to catch myself and go, am I saying this? Cause it's fascinating to me and I want to show people how much work I've done and how smart I am or because it's really helpful for everybody. Who's yeah. Going to be there. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, it's a temptation to kind of get lost in the weeds and yeah. You know, the, uh, the, the flip side of that is you really do learn a great deal when you go to seminary and when you spend a lot of time studying the Bible and you think, at least what happens to me is I think that what I'm going to say is really passe and everybody knows this already. And this isn't interesting to anybody. So let me go and find this little nugget of novelty someplace. But the truth is like what I think everybody knows already, they really don't <laughs> like, like um, I've thought a lot about that maybe, but they may not have. Yeah. Uh, uh, what's your study work? You have all the, I mean, do you do Bible software too, or do you just have all these inherited bookshelves? Yeah, I have no Bible software at all. Wow. Like, I, yeah, I don't have logo stuff or anything. Yeah. Um, maybe I'm just kind of a Luddite in that way. <laughs> you're, yeah, you're, well, you've got a free library. That helps. <laughs> uh, well, we'll start, we'll start winding down. I'm aware of our time. But, uh, you know, other than the David Buttrick book, uh, are there other books that you've just found really helpful shaping you? Maybe they're preaching books. Maybe they're not. But that you feel like have been really helpful for shaping how you think about the sermon. Yeah, um, um, gosh, uh, Barbara Brown Taylor's The Preaching Life, um, is just fabulous. And the second half of that book has some of her sermons in it. Um, Craddock's book, um, Preaching, mm-hmm. is, um, I, you know, I, um, I have just the greatest amount of respect for Fred Craddock and the way he went about the task of preaching. Um, I found Wilson's book, the four pages of the sermon helpful years ago. It's been a long time since I've gone back to read it. Yeah. I'm not familiar um, that one. But I, I tell you, one of the things that I find very formative for me at this point in my preaching life is I listen to a lot of comedians. Yeah. And there is so much overlap in the in the very best comedians. You're trying to convey a message in a winsome way that that approaches people from an angle they're not expecting. So like, lots of folks can get up on stage and do the whole take my wife, please sort of thing. But if you want to, um, you know, if you want to tell it slant. Yeah. Um, that's the phrase to, that came to mind, even as you're yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, where there is the unexpected aha. And I think in our churches these days, like that's something that we really need is that everybody knows what a sermon is. Everybody knows the form of a sermon. Even, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a three points preacher. Um, I've just never liked that, but all, all the different forms of a sermon, Lots of folks know what it is that they're getting. Uh, so I like the idea of coming at it a different way that kind of catches people unexpected or I didn't see that coming. Uh, I do believe the sermon is an art and it needs to be recovered as an art form. And, you know, sometimes, you know, uh, depending on what's going on in church life, you need to get up and say, this is what we need to do. This is how we're going to get it. When times are disorienting, you need some orienting preaching that says this is God's world and how he shapes it. Um, <clears throat> but you also need to disorient people and the twist. I think Jesus did this well. But um, what I like about listening to comedians is that they're making points uh, at the same time, they're winning the hearer, um, and we need more preaching that conveys meaningful messages and wins people at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks. I, it'd be interesting. I don't know that anybody's ever done any like I, a, a few other people I've interviewed have talked about that, but I don't know that anybody's ever really done any thoughtful work on 
the unique or the not the uniqueness, but the, the preacher esque comedian. The conflu- <laughs> well, yeah, the confluence of yeah. sermon and comedy sketch or not sketch comedy monologue. You know, yeah. it'd, be, it'd be interesting. Well, Sean, thanks so much. Um, you know, we I, I'll talk about it a little bit in the intro, but we haven't really talked about it with you so far. I know you have a blog and and the church's website. Do you want to tell people where they can? find you online maybe talk a little bit about what kind of things you write about on your blog yeah so the blog is the palmer perspective p-a-l-m-e-r perspective Uh, (laughs) (laughs) um which is the only reason it's that is because i couldn't get seanpalmer.com was already taken and i i write there mostly about the the church world and how i see the gospel and the church as a beloved community so everything there has a take on how to be a generous, gracious uh, Christian in the context of a life of the church. So um, you can also find me on Twitter at Sean Palmer, S-E-A-N-P-A-L-M-E-R, at Sean Palmer. It's really simple. You got that one. Uh, yeah. I know, I know exactly how to spell that one. Uh, <laughs> well, I just mean you got it. You couldn't get your name with the domain name, but at least you got yeah, it. Yeah, I got that one. I got that one. Um, so those are the kind of things that I write about. So the subtitle of the blog is uh, In Search of a Be- Beloved Community, which um, is borrowed from Martin Luther King, which he actually borrowed from uh, a writer in the 1920s. But how church serves as a community of welcome and hospitality. Yeah. Well, thank you. And, and then the church is thevinetemple.com, if I remember right. Thevinetemple.com. Yeah. The vine, not divine. T h e v i n e because we that a lot. And temple refers to the city, not, city, the, not, not the name not, of the building. Yes. <laughs> so it, yeah, I didn't think it was as complicated as uh, it turned out to be when we were going through that process. Well, for what it's worth, I guess it's because I knew you were in temple, but it didn't occur to me before that there could be a confusion between the city and an actual building name, the Vine Temple, until just now. It's weird. Yeah, I, I had this grand. I had these uh, delusions of grandeur when we bought the website domain name and that there might be the Vine Temple one day and then the Vine Belton and the Vine Colleen and the Vine Round Rock. All of these are towns around us, you know, if you're satelliting. So you would. So we are in Temple. So it was the Vine Temple. Um, But I don't think our our DNA really lends itself to uh to satellite churches <laughs> at least not at this point that's well, just they not could be church plants though you yeah can think about uh, that yeah it's not what god's called us to at the time is to do the satellite thing but definitely uh planting i could see much more in line with who we are well sean it's, it's great to talk you're close by so i hope we get to meet in person soon yeah thank you john i enjoyed uh talking about preaching with you yeah anytime Thanks again for listening. As I always say, the notes, the links, the books, anything that Sean mentioned that we talked about, you can find linked from the website sermonsmith.com. Of course, you can find all of our prior shows there as well as as a list of all of the books. We've built quite the library of books and who's talked about what and gear and software and apps and all that. You can find all of that on the podcast. Also, you can find there if you want to just support the podcast directly, links to donate, or you can be part of our Patreon campaign. P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash sermonsmith where you can contribute on a per show basis. Thanks so much. Talk to you soon.